Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 11. This morning we talked about entering the kingdom. Seed me, it's going to be about an abundant entrance. I didn't, that's not the title. The title is actually Making Yourself Fruitful. Could say Making Yourself Useful. That's something we've said to our kids already, you know. Well, make yourself useful, you know. But anyway, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And beside this, so we're adding to, and that's what the word, the word here in the passage is add. So in addition to, or besides what we've already learned about life and godliness, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Of course, knowledge is correct understanding. And, and we have the seeding great precious promises so that we can be partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world. We don't have to be, be uh, overtaking with the corruption that's in the world. You know, it seems like, if you think about it, watch, watch how this corruption in the world comes about. People, as people live, it just, it just seems to um, come to fruition in their lives because of the choices they make. So, and besides this, verse 5, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, and temperance, patience, and the patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, many people go through life troubled with doubts and insecure about their relationship with the Lord. You know, Peter here gives us some instruction on overcoming those doubts and having assurance that the Lord gives through our yielding to Him and applying ourselves growing in the grace and knowledge of him he calls it here adding to your faith or we could say making yourself fruitful or making yourself useful so let's pray and then we'll look, look at several things here for heavenly father we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word and i pray as you look into this passage i pray that you would speak to our hearts that we'd be encouraged and challenged that we might grow in the grace and knowledge, that we might be fruitful. We neither be barren nor unfruitful, but we be fruitful, useful to those around us that know thee not, and useful to one another as well. So Lord, speak to us, challenge us, we pray. And I pray that if there are some that are still having doubts or not sure, I pray that this would be a help to them to overcome and be victorious. In their walk with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing he does here, he gives a, a prescribed addition. A prescribed addition. And he, and he tells us that we need to add seven things. But as we think about that prescribed addition, 
he tells us we need to do it with all diligence. Besides this, giving all diligence. Now the word diligence means earnestness uh, in accomplishing or promoting or striving after anything. It's used really twice in this passage. It's used also in verse 11 where he says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. I'm sorry, it's in verse 10. Um, Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence. So Peter used that word often, diligence. He also, in this book, will, will, will use the word remembrance or stir up your memory. But So we're to give all diligence. We're to go after it. That's the idea. We, you might say to somebody, well, he really goes after it. In other words, he puts forth effort. He's earnest about it. And, and the Bible tells us in many places that's the way we need to be in, walk, in our walk with the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13, it says, And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Again, the idea, you're, you're going after it. Deuteronomy 13, 3. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Joshua 22, 5. But take diligent heed to the commandment of the law and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cleave to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And in the New Testament, Colossians 1.10, that you might work, work, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Ecclesiastes 9.10 tells us, Whatsoever thy hand find to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. You see, we need to, while we're living... While we have opportunity, whatever we do in, in our service for the Lord particularly, we need to do it with all of our might. You know, the problem with some of us is we're not diligent. We're half-hearted. We're not serious about this thing. And of course, it starts with learning, with education. You know, homeschooling is not just so we can keep our children from the corruption of the world. It's but to give them the wisdom to overcome the world. I mean, they're not going to get that wisdom in public school. Uh, and so we're to give it. And if they lack intellect, they will lack the power to overcome the world. Because how do you overcome the world? Through knowledge. You know, I've, often, I've always told my kids, our, the battle in this country is not with guns. We're not losing that battle. That's not where we're losing it. We're not losing it with our military. We're losing with ideas, with knowledge. That's where we're losing the war. Because Christians, we as Christians have failed to educate ourselves. You know, it's almost like some, some, some people pride themselves in their ignorance as Christians. You know, we need wisdom to know how to answer every man. That's what Peter tells us actually in First Peter chapter 3. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that lieth in you with meekness and fear. And the, the idea there is apologia or apologetics. 
You know, we need to be we need to be able to, to understand and explain where we came from. Why we believe in creation, not evolution. You know, that little handout I gave you about carbon dioxide. You know, it's laughable if you really think about it. Plants love it. They thrive on it. And yet our environmentalist friends are telling us, you know, it's creating problems in the atmosphere and all this garbage. No, it's, it's, it's it, some scientists are saying we need more because it's kind of low. You know, plants aren't doing as well. Uh, but, but we need to be able to, we need to be able to answer every man. And we need wisdom to do that. And then he says we need to add. So we need to give diligence to add. That word add means to supply or furnish, uh, to present equivalent to, or to show or afford by deeds. So our Lord, what he's saying here is our Lord wants us to abound with blessings and fruitfulness. The, 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 the phrase here really is, has the idea of superabundance. He wants us to abound. Now he gives us seven things we need to add, and I've I didn't do it. I copied this, these these from someone else. They all, I I've changed them all to begin with the letter D. First of all, the delightful duty that's virtue. Besides, yes, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Uh, call that delightful duty. Virtue is a, it's a virtuous a, a course of thought, feeling, and action, moral goodness, or excellence. It's the idea of pursuing excellence in every area of life pursuing excellence not satisfied with status quo you know, Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 Paul told the church at Philippi that they needed to pursue things that are excellent Philippians 1 verse 9 <coughs> excuse me in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. So he said, I want you to, to be seeking or approving things that are excellent. excellent. And, and the idea of virtue here is pursuing excellence even, even in difficult circumstances. And a good example of that is Joseph. You know, Joseph, whatever he did, he, he did it with all his might. He pursued excellence, and everybody noticed it. Everywhere he went, whether it was, whether it was with his father, or whether it was with uh, uh, Polyphor, or whether it was the jailer, every, everybody noticed that he pursued excellence. He did everything well. That's virtue. So God says, the Word of God says here that we need to add to these Precious, exceeding precious promises and all these things, we need to add to our life, to our faith, virtue, excellence. Secondly, we need to add discriminating direction or the word knowledge here. The word knowledge here means moral wisdom as seen in right living and in contact with others. You're right living and in contact with others. So it has to do with having understanding of how to, how to, to uh, uh, communicate or, or uh, uh, work with people, interact with people. Your Daniel 
says this, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was found in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Of David, I think David was a good example of this. David, three times in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 18.5, it says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. Now, three times in, in 1 Samuel 18, it, it refers to David's actions and his conduct as behaving wisely. Uh, you see, he had, he had learned how to conduct himself with men, and, and Saul had set him over his, his, his men. And yet he behaved himself wisely more than older men. You know, here was a, and so what you have here is a respectful, a courteous, uh, a young man with a pleasant attitude. He's not selfish. He, he'd been a young man that would, would look you in the eye and shake your hand and talk to you. He'd give his seat to a lady or to an older man. He knew how to conduct himself with knowledge, with wisdom amongst people in a way that was pleasing not only to the Lord, but to people. Everybody loved him because he behaved himself wisely. And that's the idea here. So we're going to add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge. And then thirdly, daily discipline, and that's the word temperance, to knowledge temperance. Temperance, of course, means self-control. This is the virtue of one who masters his desires and his passions. It's really to be, biblically, it's to be controlled by the Spirit of God or to be led by the Spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, I'm not going to allow anything to take control of my body to the point that it would keep me from faithfully serving the Lord. Or that it would hinder my walk with the Lord. I'm not going to be brought under the power of anything that would, de- would, would uh, destroy me. That is temperance, controlling our passions and desires, and being led by the Spirit. So, and that's a daily, a daily discipline. Again, we have to work at these things. Give diligence. Fourthly, a dignified deportment, and we have the word patience. To knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience. Patience, of course, is steadfastness. The idea of here, the definition was that I that I found was endurance uh, in the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is unswerved from his deliberate purpose and is loyal to the faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. So in the midst of very difficult circumstances, uh, a man with this kind of patience would continue to be faithful to the Lord. He would not be... Be, be pulled from his purpose in life. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul was being told that 
he was, of course, determined to go to Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jerusalem, and he was told on several occasions that bonds and affliction abide him there. But he said this, None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. I'm not moved. I know it sounds bad. But I'm not moved. I'm willing to bear it. I'm not deterred. For my desire to please the Lord. James 5.11 tells us, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And we think about the patience of Job. Job went through the greatest trials a man could go through. The only thing that didn't happen to him, he wasn't killed. But he probably wished he would have been. I mean, he lost everything from his, from his uh, possessions to his family, to his children, his own children. The only thing he didn't lose was his wife, and she said, curse God and die. So she didn't help him. And then he lost his health. Boils from head to toe. Some commentators think maybe elephantitis or something like that, which is a terrible disease. And yet he was not moved from his purpose or for, from his faith in the Lord. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's patience. That's real patience. Number five, definite development. That's a word, godliness. So we're to add to our faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, and the patience, godliness. Godliness is reverence or respect, particularly for the Lord. Uh, we're to reverence the Lord give consideration to him in every area of life, every minute of life. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7, But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Notice he said to exercise thyself unto godliness. You're going to have to exercise. It's going to take work. All these things take work. They take effort. He said, and what you need to do Part of the exercising is to shun, refuse, fables. You know, fables are fictional stories or narratives of ungodly men. And really, from the, the study I've done, when he says refuse profane and old wives' table, fables, the profane here has to do with men, and the old wives has to do with wicked women. And fables, you know, of course, are fictional stories or narratives of ungodly men or silly women. Old wives' tales. Novels. No, we need to... You, you learn godliness by spending time with the Lord. Your Proverbs 13.20 says this, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You see, we need to spend some time with Abraham, Joseph, Moses, the man of God, 
Daniel, the beloved of the Lord. You say, how can I do that, preacher? Study his word. Study their lives. You know, you'll begin to learn. You'll begin to learn. You know what Abraham did in this situation? And you can apply it then to your life. You know what Moses did in this situation? Well, uh, you know, that takes work. Yeah, it does. That's why he said, exercise thyself unto godliness. It takes work. It takes effort. I know it's a lot easier to sit down and watch these God-haters play ball or, or you know, reality TV or something like that. But, but it would be a lot more beneficial to us if we would exercise ourselves unto godliness. So we need, there needs to be a de- definite development in our life of godliness. Number six, displayed devotion. That's the word brotherly kindness and to, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. John 11, or 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one to another. The word brotherly kindness simply means brotherly love. Uh, we should love one another in the church like brothers and sisters. Now, I know Proverbs says that brothers were born for adversity. To cause pro- that, that's, that's, it doesn't mean they're born to cause problems. I know some of you are looking at your younger brothers or your, your, your older brothers or your sisters or something, you know, and you're saying, yeah, they sure are a lot of adversity. No, no, no. They'll be there to help you in time of adversity. That's the idea. And we need to love one another. We are to love one another. We're commanded to love one another. Uh, Romans 12.10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Hebrews 13.1, let lo- brotherly love continue. You know, the greatest example of this I can think of in the Bible is David and Mephibosheth. And David said, is there any of the house of Saul, 2 Samuel 9, is there any of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to my brother, Jonathan? And they called one of Saul's servants, and he said, yes, there is, a son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth, who's lame upon his feet. You know, usually kings didn't let lame people in their palaces. But David said, Mephibosheth, you're going to set your lame feet under my table and you're going to eat from my table for the rest of your life. Right in the king's palace. You see, that was brotherly love. A brotherly kindness to Saul or Jonathan, Saul's son. Then... Number seven, thing we need to add is to brotherly kindness, charity. This is, declared, call this declared duty. Charity, though the word charity is often translated love, uh, but in the Bible, in the King James Bible, it's often translated the word charity. Uh, all the newer versions, of course, most of them use the word love. But the word charity really means generosity, kindly concern, or it means to value or to esteem or to delight in. So it has the idea of giving. First Peter 4, 8. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And we see a multitude of things that charity will cover. And the idea here is not that we overlook any sin, but I think I mentioned this some time back. I was thinking about this. You know, when I was teaching, 
uh, preaching through First Peter chapter four, and we were talking about this verse, chapter first four and verse eight, about charity covering a multitude of sins. You know, all of us have things in our lives that are that are not pleasing, and and if we didn't have charity one for another, we could pick each other apart, and we ended up hating each other. But no, we didn't have charity. We didn't have grace and charity with one another. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul speaks about this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. See, charity has, the, has, a, has, has hope for everyone. Think about this. You remember in Galatians chapter 2, Paul talked about how he withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. Because before the Jews came, those came from Jerusalem, he ate with the Gentiles. But when the Jews came from Jerusalem, he withdrew himself. And, and, and even so much that Barnabas was carried away in the dissimulation. You know, if Paul didn't have charity, he could have cut Barnabas off right there. He said, I'm not working with you anymore. But he didn't. He didn't. You see, because he had charity, not, he didn't overlook it. He pointed out the wrong. But he continued to work with and have hope in and hope for the best in Barnabas. And Barnabas continued to, do, to work with Paul to the glory of God. So, so that's the idea here, to have charity one with another. Charity never fails, whether prophecies they shall fail, whether it be tongues they shall cease, whether it be knowledge it shall vanish away. So we need to have these, we need to have charity one with another. And, and, and he tells us here that we need to add these things to our life. One commentator said this, the scope of the list demonstrates that God wants us to have well-rounded Christian life. Complete in every fashion. We can't be content with an incomplete Christian life. Unquote. So, God says we're to give all diligence. We're to give effort. We're going to have to work at it. It's a, it's a daily effort to work at adding these things to our life. That's the way life is. You know, when you have children, from the time they're born, you start working with them to train them. To teach them to obey. To teach them to feed themselves. To teach them to take care of themselves. To make their beds. That's what we're to be doing. We have to work at it. And he says, and so this is the uh, prescribed addition. I want you to notice secondly, the provided abundance. Verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. For if these things be in you and abound. And the word abound again means superabundance. So by applying yourself, putting forth some effort, stretching yourself, he said, if these things be in you and abound, 
They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So here's the provided abundance that God gives to us. Will, will not be barren. The word barren means at leisure or lazy. Shunning the labor which one ought to perform. In Hebrews chapter 5, and I believe it was the Apostle Paul that wrote Hebrews, of course, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, but, but the, the, the Bible there says in Hebrews 5, when you ought to be teachers, you have one that need teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Why? Because they were shunning to do what they were supposed to. They were being lazy in their Christian life. They weren't exercising themselves and, and, and receiving strong meat. Therefore, they were unskillful in the word of righteousness. So God doesn't want us to be barren. Titus chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, speaking of the Cretans, he says, One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. You wouldn't want to have anybody say that about you, that that witness is true, would you? Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, they may be sound in the faith. So, so he says, we need to work at this so that we won't be barren and we won't be also unfruitful. And the word unfruitful means destitute of good deeds or contributing nothing to the instruction, the improvement, and the comfort of others. So the idea here is that we'd be, we, we would just not be doing anything. We would, we would not labor for the Lord, and we wouldn't be doing anything to instruct or to improve anyone else's life or be a comfort to them to the glory of God. So you're helping nobody. God doesn't want us to be like that. And He's provided the means so that we need not be. See, he wants us to be like Aquila and Priscilla. Remember Aquila and Priscilla? Now, they were tent makers. Aquila wasn't a preacher. Priscilla wasn't a pastor's wife or a missionary's wife. But they were a godly couple. They ran out of Rome. And so they met up with Paul along the way somewhere. And in Acts chapter 18, verse 26, it says this about them. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And this is speaking about, um, and his name just went out the window. Huh? No. Apollos, I'm sorry. Apollos, thank you. This, this is speaking about Apollos. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So here was a couple who walked with the Lord. They were, they were, they were diligent to, to grow in their grace and knowledge, and so they were able to help this preacher who only heard of the baptism of John. He hadn't heard the full story yet. So when they heard him, they took him aside unto themselves and, and instructed him. You see, they were help, able to help him, to instruct him, to improve him. And Apollos was a mighty preacher. In fact, commentators said that 
believed he could quote most of the Old Testament scriptures where it says he mildly convinced the Jews. He was a, he was a powerful preacher, but they'd help him. You know, could you instruct someone younger than you how to conduct themselves as a child of God? You know, David learned how to behave himself wisely at home from his parents and by meditating and spending time with the Lord, the godly man of the Bible. That's where he learned it. So we have provided here, but see, he, he, that, is, he that lacketh these things. In other words, if you don't apply yourself to these things, the Bible says you'll be blind and cannot see afar off. In other words, you'll be short-sighted. You'll have little understanding. You'll be ignorant of much of Bible truth. And therefore, you won't be able to minister or help others. You won't be able to give an answer of the reason the hope is in you with meekness and fear. You might be able to say like a lot of Christians do, well, my church believes this. You know what? The world's not impressed when Christians say, my church believes this or my pastor believes this. They're impressed when you can say, this is what the Bible says. This is what it means. And we can do that. But we have to apply ourselves. We have to apply ourselves. So there's a prescribed addition. There's a provided abundance. There's a predictable assurance. A predictable assurance. Notice verse 10 and 11. Wherefore the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an infant shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Three things I want to notice here. First of all, the, under predictable insurance, it, first of all, it gives, us, it gives us confidence in our salvation. When we add to our faith, when we put forth effort, diligent effort, earnestly, striving to perfect ourselves, to grow in the grace and knowledge, it gives confidence in our salvation. There are, notice it says, make your calling and election sure. The word calling means invitation into the kingdom and service of the king. The word sure means stable, firm, unshaken, constant. In other words, you have confidence in it. Many times people lack assurance because our minds are so caught up with the things of the world, we don't give much thought to the Lord. And we don't walk with the Lord. We don't obey Him. We don't seek to grow in our knowledge of Him. Therefore, we lack confidence. We lack assurance. You know, John tells us in 1 John, Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. If we keep. Here's how we know that we know Him. If you have trouble knowing, is there something in your life that you know you should be doing and you're not? Or you're not applying yourself or giving any effort to learn? more about the Lord, to increase in your knowledge of Him? So it gives confidence in our salvation. Secondly, it gives confidence in our place. Again, verse 10, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. The word election is the act of picking out, choosing, or selecting. 
you know, God wants us to have certainty of our salvation. He also wants us to have certainty about our place of service. Our place of service. And I believe that's what election has to do with, our place of service. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, the Bible speaks, says that the, the church at Antioch, they were told to separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein to have to call them. The word separate there means to appoint, to set apart. So God elected from among themselves or chose or picked out from among the church of Antioch Barnabas and Saul to leave and go on what we call mission trip, start churches. They were elected to do that. You know, God has chosen us to serve him in some capacity. Some are chosen to stay and serve in the church. Some are chosen to go. But we can have confidence, and again, it comes through applying ourselves, learning and growing. So it gives us the assurance, the confidence of salvation, confidence in our place. It also assures us a, quote, well done, thou good and faithful servant, entrance or reception into heaven. Notice verse 11, it says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I believe, it's, it, you know, this, it, as we apply ourselves, as we learn and grow in him and keep adding to our faith, and that's a daily thing, it never ends. It'll never end till you leave this world. God will give us that assurance of a well done, thou good and faithful reception. One commentator said this concerning this verse. He said, the abundant entrance was really a choral entrance. The idea was of a Roman conqueror coming into a city welcomed by singers and musicians who would join him in a glorious, happy procession into the city. Unquote. So an abundant entrance. But you know, all these things are the result of diligently adding to your faith. Adding to your faith. You know, it's, 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 it's growing. It's what it is. It's growing. And it comes through the knowledge of him, learning more about him, patterning our lives after him, uh, allowing him. And, and I believe this. You know, you don't have to go out and study how to interact with people. You want to learn how to get along with people, how to treat people? Read the book of Proverbs. Read the book of Proverbs. Read it over and over again. It'll tell you who to associate with. It'll tell you who to stay away from. My son, when sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Go not in the way with them. It tells you to stay away from the, the strange woman. Uh, don't be, don't be, uh, uh, don't, don't meddle with them that are given to change, that are constantly changing. That's not the kind of person. No, walk with wise men and you'll be wise. But a companion of fools will be destroyed. See, the book of Proverbs tell you what kind of people you ought to 
draw near to and attach yourself to and hang around and how to treat them. You know, one, I heard one preacher say one time, you want to be just like Christ? Model your life after the book of Proverbs. It is the book of wisdom. And he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man because of his wisdom. So all, all this is a result or the fruit of us putting forth our effort. You know, salvation is a free gift. But if we want to be fruitful, if we want an abundant life, if we want to be used, we want to be useful in the service of the Lord, and we want that well done, well done, thou good and faithful reception, when we go to be with the Lord, it's the fruit of us applying ourselves and learning and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Young people, you've got to put forth some effort. You can be greatly used, but it's all up to you. You know, the extra you got out of it, to make yourself extraordinary, it's just the extra you put into it. So, might God help us to apply ourselves to learn and grow in the grace and knowledge of Him, that we might be fruitful we might be useful we might be helpful and instructive and encouragement to those around us that know him or don't know him that we might know how to answer from the word of God to give hope to a lost and dying world Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge that gives to us, the instruction. I pray that you would help us to heed the instruction. Lord, help us to apply ourselves, to put forth the effort, to serve thee with all of our might, resting upon your promises, being obedient to your commands, and keeping your precepts. We pray. Have your will and your way in this invitation time, we pray. In Jesus' name.